and welcome to Native Stories. Native Stories exists to share the voices of those connected to the land. My name is Davis Price. I'm the Community Outreach Manager for the Office of Hawaiian Affairs. Mahalo to all of you for attending tonight. Um, I didn't want to take too much time, but I wanted to give a brief introduction um, as to why OHA and the other collaborators decided to host this event um, and have our Ohana from Kauai come share um, the issues that they're experiencing there at Aloi Pa'akai in Hanapepe. Um, so OHA hosted a annual board meeting in Kauai um, over the summer, and a number of community members came and shared what they were experiencing um, with this new helicopter company that had taken over and the zoning permit and the expansion that they're trying to undertake. Um, OHA has been following this issue for a number of years um, and been monitoring it for the most part, and that's in large part due uh, to the work of the Public Policy Division, uh, which is managed by Jocelyn Doan, who's right here. Um, but obviously with this new... Well, it was clear that with this new entity coming in and taking over the business operations at the airport, I guess we'll call it, it's not really an airport, but at the site, and trying to expand and really encroaching on the traditional customary practices that are taking place um, and becoming very much a nuisance, um, if it's probably a light term for what they're doing there. Um, but we we saw that there was a sense of urgency. The Ohana graciously hosted us for a site visit, gave us a great breakdown of what was going on, what they do, what is their practice for generations. Um, it's very important that we recognize that these are the lineal descendants of the people who have been partaking in this practice for generations and generations. Um, and given the climate in the Lahui right now, uh, the timing, I consider it, many of us, this is a ho'ailona. Um, this is just another ho'ailona in what we're experiencing about, you know, not just regards to mismanagement, disrespect of our people and our practices, but the awakening feels like it's supposed to happen. So mahalo to all of you for coming and taking the time to learn um, and, and get informed. And hopefully, as we host more of gatherings like this, because this is happening across Kapai'aina. It's not just Mauna Kea. It's not just Sherwoods. It's not just Hanapepe. It's not just Nanakuli and the PVT landfill in our backyard. Um, it's not just Kahuku. List goes on and on. And I think the reactions that we're seeing, the fearlessness that we're seeing by people taking stands to block roads, get arrested, there is, those are symptoms of a sickness. And I think the more we learn and engage, the more we can identify the root causes of those sicknesses and take action. So I'll stop there. And pass the mic to Oni, who's going to go over some brief housekeeping. Mahalo nui, everybody, again, for coming. And a quick, um, sorry, 
shout out to Kanai Okana who helped um, get the word out and part in, on this issue and multiple issues. Um, Kahuliao at the law school and Vai Vai. So, mahalo. Real quickly, want to introduce Kaululu'uwai. This is the Pelekikena of the Ahui Ohawai'i Native Hawaiian Law Students Association at Kahuliao. So, when we left Kauai in July, so we could, oh, we should do a community panel. This is the first person I called. <laughs> so, a really, uh, she's a go-getter, doing great work, kind of reinvigorating that hui there at the law school. So, mahalo nui, I'll hand it over, and they'll take it from here. Mahalo. Uh, just again, uh, mahalo to you all for joining us this evening and on behalf of the Ahuya Hawaii Advocates for Native Hawaiian Justice at the William S. Richardson School of Law. Just want to say aloha. And we would like to take this moment to introduce our facilitator for the this evening. The, um, our facilitator tonight is Haunani Lem. She is a Kamehameha Schools graduate as well as a graduate of the law school. And she used to work at the uh, Corp Council for Maui County, focusing in land use issues. And she also is a co-founder, co-owner, and president of Waiolua Elua, Inc., uh, which is a Hawaii real estate development company, management firm, as well as an investment firm. So please give her a warm aloha for hosting tonight. So I want to mahalo all of you for being here. I also want to mahalo... Ka'ulu for thinking of me, for inviting me and the Ahahui. And I think the reason why Ka'ulu thought of me, not only have I known her since she was a baby, but also because my Onehanao, my origins, is from Anahola, Kauai. And so, Kapoi Kauai, uh, I mahalo you and any issue that involves you, of course, involves me. And so I am thankful that I have this opportunity to help the Ahuhui raise awareness of things that are happening on Kauai. Having said that, uh, I would like to mahalo our four sponsors in greater detail. I have a write-up of what they do. So Kahuli Ao Center for Excellence in Native Hawaiian Law is an academic center that promotes education, scholarship, community outreach, and collaboration on issues of law, culture, and justice for Native Hawaiians and other Pacific and Indigenous people. It also offers courses and supports Native Hawaiian and other law students as they pursue legal careers and leadership roles. And you can get more information at law.hawaii.edu. And for those young people who are aspiring to go into legal careers, know that you will be welcome there. Kanai Okana is a network of Hawaiian schools strengthening Hawaiian education through collaboration. Kanai Okana seeks to strengthen the Lahui and nurture the next generations of Aloha Aina leaders through a strong Olelo Hawaii and Ike Hawaii. Visit them at kanaiokana.net. Vavai Collective did their own introduction and they did a wonderful job, so I'm going to skip over that. And of course, you all know of Office of Hawaiian Affairs, OHA, will be live streaming tonight's event onto their social media platforms. Uh, they were established by the State Constitutional Convention in 1978 and is a semi-autonomous state agency mandated to better the conditions of Native Hawaiians. 
Guided by a board of nine publicly elected trustees, OHA fulfills its mandate through advocacy, research, community engagement, land management, and the funding of community programs. And you can learn more about them at OHA.org. And they have prepared a video, which we're going to watch right now, specifically about the Hanapepe salt ponds. So we'll move to that. Mahalo to OHA for that enlightening video that kind of helps to frame the discussion that's going to have happen now. I did want to take up a couple of housekeeping matters, and that is, as I said, it is live streaming. So we ask everybody to kokua, turn off your cell phones, uh, keep the space meaningful and allow the panelists to communicate with you. And so if you could keep the back noise to a minimum, that would be excellent. Okay, now we will discuss what the Ahuhui's aim was for this evening. Initially, it was I was asked to be a moderator. And a moderator is someone who moderates between various uh, perspectives. And that was because the Ahuhui had hoped to host a panel to educate students and community at large on central issues to the debate about the Hanapepe salt ponds and Maverick Helicopters' recent request for a zoning permit as well as the other areas of conflict at Hanapepe currently happening at the salt ponds. The goal was to have a diversity of voices representing, including the salt pond farmers who are here today, the legal community, and the business community. However, although the, the Ahuhui reached out to Maverick Helicopters and the Department of Transportation, no response was provided, so unfortunately, away, their perspective cannot be represented here tonight. And so we have to imua, we have to still move forward about these important topics. Uh, they went over the various other housekeeping matters. There's a bathroom over there, and so please be sure to, to stay afterwards, know where everything is. And I don't think they mentioned about Church of the Crossroad parking, but if you're parked over there, you've got to pay at the kiosk. So we're going to be good neighbors. Uh, now I want to introduce the panelists. We have two members from Huihana Paakai, Ohana Pepe. One is Manlia Nobriga Oliveira. And if you could just raise your hand so we can identify you. She is the president of the Huihana Paakai Ohana Pepe. She is a third-generation salt farmer. And as they mentioned in the video, salt farming is a lineage, uh, traditional cultural practice. She is also, in her professional life, the Director of Strategic Partnership and Community Engagement for Hawaii Nui Akea School of Hawaiian Knowledge. She's the Director of Loli Ani'au, Maka'ala Ani'au, LAMA, Climate Change, Climate Alert. And she is a Native Hawaiian educator, kumuhula, salt maker, cultural practitioner, filmmaker, community organizer and advocate of indigenous rights at all levels, locally, regionally, internationally. Her experiences demonstrate her commitment to her people, language, and culture, and to indigenous peoples worldwide. She has undertaken advocacy work that has taken her to various international meetings, such as the United Nations Convention on Biological Diversity and the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. And as I introduce each panelist, I'm also going to ask them this very same question. Uh, 
Could you please describe your kuleana to the lo'ipakai of Hanapepe? Aloha. Heha ia kuleana. Oh, e kuleana nui. E kuleana i hapai ia e ko'umau kupuna. O Joseph me Helen Chu. He kuleana kokako no ka ho'omau ana. I iano iano kuleana. So it's a kuleana that has been passed on from our kupuna. And specifically, I call out to um, my kupuna, um, Joseph and Helen Chu. Um, and my grandpa was one of the lead advocates in the 60s to organize our salt makers. And I also um, recognize a lot of the other salt makers here, like the Ohana Kaneakua. Um, who were a part of that hui that brought our kupuna and our ohana together. So, one of our many kuleana. Mahalo. Thank you. Malia. Next, I'm going to introduce Kule Santos. She is the vice president of the same hui, Hana Pakai Ohana Pepe. Her ohana are also traditional salt farmers. In her professional life, she is the VP of Operations and Director of Finance for Unlimited Construction Services, Inc. She is a former board member of the YWCA of Kauai, a former Kauai Historic Preservation Commissioner, where she served for seven years, and a former member of the Kauai Sustainable Action Team. She does continue her work as a committee member of Ho'oulu Vehi, the Sustainable Living Institute of Kauai. So please mahalo ku'ulei, and I will ask her the same question. Please describe your kuleana to the lo'ipa'akai of Hanapepe. Aloha, everyone. Aloha. I was born and raised in Hanapepe. Um, been making salt since I was a little kid. My babies have been making salt since they were babies, so it's just one of those things that you know, it's just passed down from generation to generation, and we do what we got to do. Mahalo. And lastly, to my right, is Alan T. Murakami. Mr. Murakami is the staff attorney at the Native Hawaiian Legal Corporation since 1983. At the Native Legal Hawaiian Corporation, sorry, i got to get closer to the mic. He is the litigation director since 1990 and the community engagement officer. He served in that capacity in 2014. He specializes in litigating novel land and water issues affecting Native Hawaiians. Important legal precedents that has been set by his work include he has enabled Native Hawaiians to enforce their rights under the Ceded and Hawaiian Homelands Trust, long established by Congress for their benefit, has defended Hawaiian rights to water and other resources important to Hawaiian cultural preservation, has worked on important precedents to protect the burial remains, which have been threatened by development and other disturbances, and has worked with Hawaiian families to defend their interests in family lands, establishing important due process rights. He has a long, distinguished career representing Native Hawaiian issues, and from 1981 to 1983, he was also the managing director of the Molokai and Waianae offices of the Legal Aid Society of Hawaii, giving voice to Native, Hawaiian, Native Hawaiians in, in community struggles related to protection of important resources and cultural preservations. So, Alan, can you please describe your kuleana to the 
lo'ipa'akai of Hanapepe. Well, unlike the other panelists here, I'm purely hamana. Um, this is a brand new experience for me, uh, particularly about these salt ponds. And I am not from Kauai. I'm the only one not from Kauai, I guess, on the panel. Um, I hail from Hilo. Uh, so I couldn't get much farther in the island archipelago from the salt ponds, but I, I am. Uh, but I bring some of the experiences that... Uh, was just relayed to this issue because it fits right into the pattern of the kind of work that the Native Wanadigo Corporation seeks to do, which largely and basically centers around the legal issues involving cultural preservation. And um, this particular practice is of such magnitude and su- such uh, uniqueness that uh, our office could definitely not ignore it. And um, at this point, I owe everything to these two wahine who have been schooling me the last few months about everything and everything to do about their, the hui. So that's what it is. Mahalo to Alan and all the panelists. So in order to let everybody know what the format is tonight is... We are going to have ahuhui questions, which they have prepared in advance and they have provided to our panelists. And we are going to reserve some time at the end so that questions from the audience can be posed to the panelists. There is up front near the entrance uh, some cards that you can put your questions on. And as time permits, the ahuhui will be coming around and gathering the questions and we will take up the, there's Ka'ulu over there. We will take up those questions at that time. The questions that the ahuhui gave me are quite ambitious to cover in the time frame that we have. So, uh, we asked our panelists to kokua. We know it is always kind of jarring to be cut short. But we do have some timekeepers in the audience. Timekeepers, where are you? Okay, right there. And they are going to help us try to stay on track. So we ask each panelist to kind of keep your answers to about a five-minute uh, period. And that's so we can get through hopefully all of these questions that they have created for us. Okay, so let's, let's begin. Uh, this one is posed to... Let's see. Sorry, let me turn the page. To Malia and to her regarding the Huihana Paakai Ohana Pepe. So in order to give the audience a context, can you please explain what that organization is, what your mission is, and who are your members? Mamua o kela o makewau e hapai ia oli i haku ia e umipaha minuke aku nei i loko ko noo noo a i loko kia oli lohe ia na inoa o o kaina o kaina kupuna me kamakani a me nakia o ia aina. Aloha aina kupuna o ai maka o hiaka 
kai ho o lui kai li pa ahe ahe o ai o no no ke aloha na kia aina na kia aina pa kai e ma kana pu olo pa kai na kala hui he pu olo ola la hui he pu olo ola ohana ke aloha no e aloha uh, no, Leila. Um, so our Hui Hanapaakai, as I started to mention earlier, Hui Hanapaakai Ohana Pepe um, was organized in 1964 by uh, many of our kupuna who were there as practitioners, as lineal descendants, continuing um, this cultural practice. And I want to bring all of these kupuna into our space tonight. And so, like I did at the OHA meeting. Um, I, I wrote down all of their inoa, um, and our members are connected to one of these kupuna that I bring here tonight. And when we went back into our records, um, these were the inoa that keep coming up as members who started our hui. Nolela eya kamo oku ahau o nei hui. Oklara me jack akuna. Barney me Mabel Char. Joe me Helen Chu. Me Makanui Kor. Eleanor De Costa. Charles and Mary Fu. Oga and Solomon Holy. James and Aloha Hookano. Linda Kaiakapu, Albert and Christina Kali, Robert and Lei Kali, Harry and Helen Kaneakua, Joseph and Rachel Kaohi, Tia Kapahu, John and Jenny Keuma, Andy and S. Kilawano, Lily Komaki, Robert Napohaku, Louis and Lei Niao, Jiro Okuno, Frank and Sarah Santos, May Ruth Yorkman. So these are the 22 Ohana. Many of them are, of course, related to one another. Many of them are connected to Hana Pepe. And if not to Hanapepe, to the Moku Okona, which we reside in. So we're in the Moku Okona, in the Ahupua of Hanapepe, in the Ili of Ukula. And it's there that we um, can experience the makani called Vaiono. So, Oyano o hui Hanapaakai. Mahalo. The next to the question is, can you explain the salt making process? And this is both to Kuule and to Malia. So maybe we start with Kuule. Okay, so we'll do the quick version of the legend. <coughs> the super quick version. 
So there was a woman on the beach. And back in the day, Hawaiians believe you only gather what you need. You fish, you hunt, you know, for what you can use. So there was a woman on the beach. She gathered, um, she fished a little bit too much. She walked up and down the shoreline and tried to give away what she had caught and she felt bad. And um, she started to cry. A woman appeared from the bushes and said, please don't cry. Follow me. Took her to the area and um, dug a hole and put the fish in and, you know, showed this is how to preserve your fish. And so this is how Hawaiian salt is made. Um, salt is only done during the summer months. So we normally start the season about May and it goes until August or September, depending on the weather, depending on the rain is when our season starts. What happens is we first go in and we prepare our area. The beds that we rub, as you can kind of see from some of the ones showing is the same beds that we've used for generations. So it's the same bed my father's been rubbing since he was a little kid. Same um, bed my grandmother has been in. And we we redo the beds. We hunt for this black clay in the surrounding area. And it's this really rich um, black... Um, I don't want to say dirty. It's not the right word. But smells a little bit, stains a little bit, gets in places that you wish it didn't get into takes a little bit more scrubbing in the bathtub to get it out. but um, And we take this and we rub it into and we create this clay pot. We let the sun bake it and it's hard work. you on your hands and your knees and you take your rock and you um, rough it in first. And so you kind of push all the moisture out from the remnants from the winter and things like that. And you bind the clay together. You let the sun bake it. Then you come back with a smooth rock and you do the, and you rub circles again. And this kind of seals it together from there. What we do is we take water from the wells. And as you can see from the overview picture here that we have right here, the um, dark circles are the wells. The white is everyone's bed. It was during salt making season that this overview shot was made. So um, my, ours is the one right in the front and we were harvesting that day. So if you look close, you can kind of see our little bodies right there, but that's why ours isn't as white. But all the white is kind of everybody's beds that we use. So what happens is we take water from our well and we move it into, and Malia can't touch up on the, the names, um, we move into a holding bed and this kind of heats it prior to actually moving it into the bed. What we do then is we refill the beds every two to three days, depending on the heat, the salt start, the water starts to crystallize and it falls. So it will crystallize and it will drop and form different layers. And that's kind of, that's the quick version. When we harvest, we harvest by layers. So we harvest our white salt first. And then the middle is kind of a little bit more pinkish. The bottom is more red. People get confused between alai salt and pakai salt. But alai is you take the vein in the mountain, you shave it in. Doing the quick version right here. Anyways, <laughs> you do, um, and you shave it in, and that gives us this really rich color. Some of us don't do that. Um, but anyway, we take it home, we dry it, we put it on on drying tables, we let it sit for about a month, two months, just depending on how hot it is, and then we package that up. Yeah, that was the quick version. <laughs> it's hard to say the process, answer the process question in five minutes. 
Um, but I think to kind of reiterate some of what she shared, um, I usually like to break it down into three main parts. The first one being the puna, our main source of water that comes from the ocean, filters through um, into our puna, and Grandpa would always tell us, um, no broke the salt shelf. And when I talked to some scientists about that, and I mentioned the salt shelf, they're like, what is that? I was like, that's what Grandpa said, there's a salt shelf. So when you go inside, and you're cleaning out the puna, and it's usually the kane, at least for our ohana, that are cleaning out the puna, um, that salt shelf is so sharp, it's sharp like glass that can cut your hand, cut your fingers. And so it really helps you to be mayao, to, to do it in a proper way. Um, so that's our puna, cleaning out the puna, um, and allowing the, the kai to filter back into the puna and to fill it up. Um, the second part that I like to refer to is our waiku, or our secondary well. And the secondary well is where um, we will transfer from the puna into our waiku, um, where that salinity is getting strengthened throughout the process. Um, then from our waiku, as the salinity is getting stronger, that will hanai or feed all of our lo'i, our lo'i pa'akai. Um, and we, just like in other practices, we allow some of our puna to rest through um, different parts of the year. So we don't use all the puna all the time. So very similar to like our lo'i, pa, uh, lo'i kalo and other practices where, where we kind of let that ho'omaha period or that rest period allow it to regenerate. Um, and I think I'll end by also saying that uh, some of the natural indicators that tell us if we have a really good puna is the opai ula. And so if you see the opai ula that is there to clean out any bad stuff in your, in your puna, um, then you know you got a good puna, you got a strong puna, and that you can continue it through the process. And sometimes maybe you got to help out the Arapuna and you come, baby. We go, I will take you on to the Arapuna so you can help us clean them out. But it's um, being aware of these kinds of natural indicators that allows us to, to, to be these kinds of kilo or observers and watch the process. And I think kind of like what Kule said, um, and how I explain it is that Grandpa them left us a recipe. A recipe that was so perfect that all we got to do is follow the recipe and do it the same way. No feel like you got to change them and make them better because the recipe is perfect. Just follow. Mahalo. That's a good overview. And I think uh, especially with the discussion of the puna, it will lead into the discussion of some of the controversies that we're going to discuss a little bit later. Okay, next question for Kule. I think we've covered this, but if there's some addition, well, let, let's see. What is the cultural significance of the Hanapepe salt ponds and their particular value to our community today? We have to understand that we get to stand in the exact same spot our ancestors stood to make a product, not to sell it, but to give it away. You can't buy it in craft 
at craft fairs. You cannot go to Costco or Big Save or Times or Safeway or whatever and buy Hawaiian salt. Like we are the only place in the world that makes this and we give it away and we do it on our spare time, spare time. Mahalo. I, I want to say about the makana, about the salt giving, and my my dad calls it salt worthy. So if you are salt worthy, then you might have a Hanapepe salt pond farmer who will give you salt. And so you feel very honored if someone will give you salt. So he calls it Hawaiian gold, is what he calls the, the salt from Hanapepe. Uh, now, the more difficult question. So what are the various issues facing the salt ponds, and what are the priority of these issues? And I'll start with Kule. And Malia, if you want to add something, we'll go to you. It's kind of um, crazy. So when we were watching the video, Malia made a comment to me about my, because that was my dad, and he's very outspoken. Being raised in my father's house, he came home and complained about all the issues that we face. Yet when we, um, he was raised, and I think most of that generation before us was raised where you just go in that salt patch and you work. And you just go and you do your thing because you're going to make a product to give it away. Well, what happened when they did that is they went in that area and they just worked, figuring that everyone would leave them alone. And that's what happened. Everybody surrounding them left them alone. So when you stand in the salt patch, we are the lowest area. Everything that happens flows to us. So we are surrounded by plantation. We are surrounded by the county park, um, DLNR, DOT, and people in general. And everything they do flows to us. So as we talked about the way Hawaiian salt is made is water travels underground into our wells. Well, the county about 12, 13 years ago came and dumped asphalt in between the ocean and our um, salt patch. And if you look at this picture right behind us, I don't know if all of you can see, but it's that area right there. And they just came and just dumped asphalt and asphalt and asphalt, didn't get a permit, didn't ask permission, just did it. Water travels underground. Everyone knows you stand in the salt patch, water travels underground into our wells. You put asphalt in the middle, what's going to happen? So that's issue number one. Issue number two is we have people that will come and they'll party in our parking lots. They will break beer bottles. They'll drug paraphernalia. They'll use, you know, other things and things will happen in our parking lot. Guys will come, and just because there's a cool mix, if you burn rubber people out there, there's a really cool thing that happens between the, you get a really good traction in our parking lot because of the way it's kind of older, and then the sand and things like that, so it makes of a really good circling, donutting, um, burning rubber around and around and around in circles. We literally will be working in the salt patch and we'll have all our tents and everything up and they'll come and they'll just do nuts, don't do nuts, donuts in front of us and things. So we've got that going on. We've got the homeless. And the way that it's set up is we are on state land. There's a um, county park. 
homeless will live in our area and run their extension cords to the to the county pavilions. No restrooms on our side, but they'll run their um, thing. So we've got that. And then we've got the Handy Dandy Helicopter Company. And I guess we'll get into that more. But they went and, I mean, they just built things without any permission whatsoever. I mean, 15, 20, 20 years ago, they tried to come in and build, you know, an office trailer and restrooms. And the county said, no, you can't. And they went and did it anyway. So these are just some of the problems that we're facing. Um, one of my favorite pictures that I like to share is um, this one that's um, on the left of the High Hawaii. And I like to share it because it has this pu'upa'akai in it. And it's a, it's a salt mound that you don't get to see today anymore. And part of that, like when I was younger and growing up, we would always see these pu'upa'akai for all the ohana, as they're harvesting, they would make these pu'u, they would cover it with a sheet and then protect it, and then you let it to pretty much drip dry and let it dry out for a few more weeks. And so it was just a beautiful sight to see when you would go down there. You don't see that anymore because people know the vai-vai of it and would go and aihue, and you think, you think that your salt is still there, but the crust of it is there, everything inside is dug out. And they took it in in the nighttime or when nobody's there. So um, nowadays, all of the ohana will take the pa'akai home and form these pu'u pa'akai in their homes. Um, so I, I do bring that um, forward because we, we deal with those kinds of things as well and have had to make those kinds of adaptations to our practice so that we can continue to malama and share it. Um, I think, oh, uh, you know, I think Kule highlighted a lot of the, um, problems. I think also, um, a lot of the, what used to be plantation, sugar plantations above us, um, have, at one time, we were afraid that it was going to become um, filled with GMO corn. So there were, was some movement. We were making about proposing policies that would have like these buffer zones to protect so many miles away so that around surrounding cultural practice or sacred sites, uh, Vahipana. Um, and now we see a lot of cattle in the area, so that still concerns us. Um, and there have been proposals that have gone forward before the Open Space Commission to consider keeping that as an open space and to malama that area as a way to be a buffer zone to protect the um, salt-making area because, like Ku'ule mentioned, everything will flow down to us, whether you're at the... Um, uh, helicopter area with their illegal cesspool or you're further up Mauka and having any runoff come down. Um, we were able to work with the county of Kauai to update their cesspool, which got updated to a septic. And then more recently, we fought really hard and proposed for a independent water system or wastewater system that would pump out all the sewage from the area and take it and connect it to take it up to Ele Ele um, wastewater plant. 
And through that process, um, we also advocated for putting those wastewater pipes as far Malka away from uh, the site as possible because um, we didn't want any of the pipes to break. We've seen these kind of breakages, whether it be on Kauai or here on Oahu, of course. Um, and so it also helps to have a kane that is now a mechanic for the wastewater system. So you know when something broke down or if got to be fixed, um, you got the direct phone call. So <laughs> mahalo. Mahalo. Uh, this is also for Malia. There are two primary activities at the Port Allen Airport, skydiving and helicopter tours. Can you explain how their activities specifically affect the ponds, both directly and with respect to the facilities related to their operations? And some of that was covered in the video, but I think it would help to give like a deeper context of these issues. Sure. Um, so I already mentioned the illegal cesspool that were being used um, by the company. Um, and they actually admitted to having a cesspool there. They were putting in, uh, when they put in their permit application to the county of Kauai um, before the planning commission, they put, they, they said that they were looking at, um, uh, installing and working on a new septic system and a design for that. So they're coming in for that permit. Um, and that was one really big trigger for me. I mean, especially because I, I've become more Akamai about wastewater um, and learned all the different stages of it. And of course, it just makes sense to us, whether it be that the sewage would come towards us at the salt area, or if it's just going into um, what is known as Sharks Bay or um, a place where Kamohali'i was also known to frequent, um, that really concerns us. And, and so part of our, our, our taking steps forward was also writing letters to the Department of Health as well as to the EPA and putting them on notice and asking them to to look into it and to investigate it. Um, and we did get some responses. We also um, did hear from the EPA, and I just followed up like two days ago uh, after we did our check-in with each other and found out that they um, are continuing their investigation um, on this cesspool, and the Department of Health already did their investigation of the cesspool and said that there's going to be a fine that's going to be issued. Um, and I know we're going to talk a little bit more about some of these responses from the county as well, but wanted to highlight that because that's one thing that I've been following closely and has concerned me. Um, in addition to that, there have been, for both companies, they've had unpermitted structures that have been existent there for many years um, and, you know, I mean, when we, we all can see on social media what has happened to that unpermitted structure that was there for not even a week and how quick the state reacted to it. But yet we can see these unpermitted structures that go um, unregulated. Nobody's there to watch it unless there's community members that keep bringing this issue forward and calling our elected officials to show up and look, we're not making up stories. 
We're kilo in the area. We take pictures. We go down. We monitor not just our area, but the surrounding areas, and we report them. And it takes a lot of time, but I think it's also um, a commitment that I think each of us make to our aina kupuna and the kinds of monitoring that we want to do um, in our in our own backyards. And maybe there's a few other things that I didn't cover. I don't know. Okay, that seemed like a lot. I think that gives us a pretty good overview of kind of what you describe as is basically a continual assault on the work that you're trying to do at the salt ponds. Um, I, I want to take a moment just to note that sometimes we talk about these issues and it's couched as purely Native Hawaiian issues, but actually that area is a special management area. And traditionally, for anybody to do work in the special management area, it requires extensive review and overview. However, this is a state facility, and the state can exempt themselves from things that happen on state land. So sometimes I think as citizens of Hawaii, not just Hawaiians, but all of us, the concept that things are happening in our oceans um, should give us pause about the significance of what's happening. Okay, not, this is not supposed to be about me, so I will continue on. Uh, let's see. I note that both of you have been involved in climate change organizations with regards to the efforts that you are undertaking with the salt ponds here. Do you see that as there being a link to what's occurring with climate change and the salt ponds? So definitely, um, as practitioners in the area, um, my message I've always been when I've participated in climate change um, discussions is that we're on the front lines and we're experiencing um, the impacts on a daily basis. With sea level rise, our puna are overflowing. Um, with also with sea level rise, we're we're noticing a lot of overwashing, overtopping of the ocean. Um, and so some of the pictures um, that I brought document that kind of overtopping. And so a lot of times when the vehicles are right there on the beach. Um, and we have these kaipi'i or these high tides. It flows right underneath the trucks, right underneath where they're all relaxing, and it flows right into our salt-making area. And so with all of this flooding that's happening, there's nowhere for this um, water to escape. And so that's part of the reason why we're also proposing to close off the beach area to vehicles, not to humans and to enjoying the beach area and to keiki, but really to the vehicles because a lot of these other pictures also can show you the kind of erosion that's happening at a quicker rate. And so I think um, it. I go down and I cry a lot in the area. I pull it a lot because some of these things are out of our our hands, but yet it's not, because I think even with the recent climate 
um, strike and a lot of the youth coming forward and providing these solutions for us. Um, I've always, a lot of people will say that climate change discussions are very depressing. And I can see how it can be depressing and can bring a lot of anxiety to our practitioners. However, I've always participated in these discussions from a traditional knowledge perspective and bringing the ike kupuna into the talks. Because through the solutions that our communities, our kupuna have used, I feel like we can adapt to these changes that we've been experiencing throughout our lifetime. It's not new for our climate to be changing. However, at the rate it's happening is what is different today. And I really mahalo being able to partner with other practitioners like Kaleinu Uhiva to be able to take our Aimalama work into the community to learn about our Kaulana Mahina, our traditional months, and to be active kilohonua or observers that can document what's happening today, learn from what our kupuna have done, and come up with very smart solutions on how to adapt. So for example, one of these adaptations, so normally when we build, going through the process, um, some of these pictures um, include my brother Gilbert, um, where he's building up the the lo'i and the waiku, and we don't normally make those balls and build up the sides of our puna. But that's something that I've been throwing out to, to our ohana to think about. Maybe we should be using a very similar process to, to make those same balls and to build up the edges of our puna to try and mitigate when sea level rises, how much water is overflowing into the surrounding area. And so I think um, yeah, again, when I approach my work and my research around climate change, I like to come from that ike kupuna perspective, and it gives me hope to know that we have solutions. And I've always heard that before from other indigenous um, women and men that I've met at other um, international meetings, and I've always heard them say that. Our kupuna, well, they never say kupuna, but they said <laughs> our elders have the solutions. They have the... We can we can solve it, and we need to look into that. And I would just sit there like, what are they talking about? Like, where where's the solution? And when I came home, I was able to really look into, and I, I really feel that becoming these kilo, no matter where we are, up Malka or Makai, that, um, that gives us solutions to mitigate and to adapt to our ongoing ch- changing climate. Mahalo. Now we are switching over to Alan. It's your turn. So I'm going to uh, ask you, would you please describe what the Native Hawaiian Legal Corporation is and how its services became a part of the dynamics taking place at the salt pond currently? Um, Brief history, the Native Hawaiian Legal Corporation arose out of the era when uh, Legal Services Corporation was funding projects across the country, and we got a share of that money to start up the corporation with 
also a big grant from OHA that uh, they gave in order to defend Hawaiian families who were facing a lot of quiet title actions at the time in the late 80s and uh, early 80s and uh, and onward. Um, we have since given up that legal services money because of the restrictions that came with it were too onerous. But over the course of that period, we developed a set of priorities that really, I, I tend to think of it as revolving around cultural preservation. Um, I don't know how much you guys appreciate how unique and valuable Hawaii law is. Uh, it is unique in the nation, okay? Um, as you may know from our kind of tumultuous political history, uh, a kingdom was lost, uh, and it was subsequently acquired by the United States, and then a lot of that land got passed to the, to the, to the state of Hawaii upon, upon statehood. But what a few people really realize is that the laws of the kingdom uh, in general were, and the, what basically, literally, the land laws of the kingdom of Hawaii were passed on through those stages of political evolution in Hawaii. And actually remain in our, in our books to a large extent in various forms. Um, and a lot of that law was based on, uh, tradition and custom, uh, that may, that's largely survived today. And the laws were only altered by legislation. And, uh, and most of the times that the legislature acted, they did not disrupt some of the practices that were still embodied in Hawaii Kingdom law. In the earliest stages of the development of land title in Hawaii, uh, there were grants made, as many of you know, to private landowners, uh, both large and small, the large ones being the Konahiki lands and the small ones being the Kuleana. But in those grants, and in some of the, and in fact, in the, the government, uh, uh, basically the government lands that were retained by the kingdom at the time, there is a reservation uh, that made it subject to, gosh, I don't know what that is about, uh, that made it subject to the rights of native tenants. And that phrase is pretty important because what it does is it preserves the rights of the commoners to be able to access the mountains and the ocean and to continue their practices that would allow them to survive on the Kuleana Awards that they were given. So... A manifestation of that kind of uh, uh, law survived over the years. And to, to this day, because primarily of the explicit reservation of those rights in the 1978 Constitutional Convention amendments, um, they are in fact embodied in our Constitution, a reservation of rights for uh, traditionally customary practice for religious subsistence and cultural purposes. And a large Chunk of our work really is revolves around that, and then you what what that the, what how you interpret that goes to how it was being utilized the how those practices were being practiced, you know, since time immemorial, and it relates to things like what water rights the uh, the Kuleana have, for example, what access rights people have across Konahiki lands, and traditions and customs like salt making. And so I don't know if people understand that, you know, this is a matter of constitutional law. It's a broad-based reservation of those rights, but it gets to allow us 
at the corporation to practice and try to enforce the rights that we can interpret from this large, uh, broad reservation of rights to protect culture. So corporation is kind of like revolves around that, and we have many forms specifically of how we do that, together with some of the statutes that have been passed to, to implement some of these terms in terms of burial protection, water rights preservation, protection of access rights, uh, especially for Kuleana, um, and a variety of other kinds of rights that are related to this preservation of rights for traditional and customary practices. Okay, now for the specific. So how have you interfaced with these current cultural practitioners in terms of the battle that they're under to keep their traditional practices going? Well, when, when the call came in about what was going on in Hanapepe, um, it seemed like there were a lot of things going on, especially with the helicopter company and the, and the Skydive Hawaii that were not permitted. And as was mentioned before, and I don't know if we have that map, that special ma- management area map that uh, I think we, there's one slide for that if it can be brought up. But this whole entire area is within the special management area. And so the basically the airfield is in the middle part of the peninsula there. Uh, but you can see that it's all covered by the special management area. And what that means is that the Coastal Zone Management Act imposes upon any land use within the special management area special protections um, to protect the cultural and historic resources of the area. And there's some very specific uh, requirements in there, which I can't go into in real detail. But the essence of it is you cannot do anything within the special management area without a permit. And lo and behold, not only the whole operation of Skydive Hawaii and the helicopter company was not permitted, but they had uh, attempted to get, in the past, a permission to use various kinds of facilities, like a certain size office, a you know certain size propane tank, um, and they got permission for some of these, but then they violated them. They exceeded the the limits that they that they uh, proposed to permit. And so most recently, um, there has been, after some jostling with the county planning department that Kule can probably get into more, uh, basically a notice of violation was sent out, finally, after years of abuse, that cited the specific violations, including the actual uses of this airfield for both skydive operations and basically helicopter tour operations. And currently there is a, a, an effective notice of violation that orders uh, these companies to cease their operations, remove the offending improvements, and to uh, pay a fine, $10,000 for, uh, in, in, the, in the case of, of uh, Maverick, and 5000 for uh, Skydive Hawaii with the potential for daily fines if they exceed a deadline, which is going to come up probably in two weeks, I think. I forget the exact day. However, um, those two entities have filed an appeal, which is allowed by by the regulation, and the regulation requires that there be a hearing within 40 days, which is I, I, I calculate to be no later than November 9. And action after that, upon close of the hearing, within 30 days on that appeal. 
Now we're getting some rumblings about the possibility, and I don't know if this is, is this public or what? Everything is public with me. Okay. I don't want to disrupt anybody's uh, attempt to try to get this whole issue resolved because it should, and it should be done quickly. But we're getting some uh, indication that both companies are maybe intending to change their whole modus operandi about appealing and fighting this all the way and actually withdrawing the appeal. So we're crossing our fingers on that, but um, if they do withdraw the appeal, the question becomes how much of how much compliance is there uh, in terms of all of these restrictions that have been specified in a notice of violation that they've issued to these two companies. If it's 100%, that's the end game for them. Um, it seems kind of strange for me to think that that's going to happen, but uh, technically it could if, in fact, they do comply and if they do withdraw that appeal. So we are in the midst, frankly, of trying to figure out, I know one of the questions is about what are the priorities about some of these problems, addressing these problems, but uh, it's developing as we speak. We are still trying to confirm what's going to be happening, and depending on what they do do, then we can figure out what our response will be. It's crazy to think that we are, we have been fighting with this helicopter for probably 20 years. And everyone that has always surrounded us has always done everything possible to be damaging to us. And yet we have proven our worth so many times and then twice over. And, you know, from the county to illegally dumping to this helicopter company who's the biggest helicopter company in the United States. They are from Vegas. The way they took over the lease to begin with was um, crazy. They went to BLNR, and BLNR said, no, you can't have the lease until you talk to the salt makers. Three months later, somebody just handed them the lease without, it was done. We're like, okay, wait, what? We just were sat, stood in front of you, you, the BLNR, and the BLNR, the board said, no, you can't have the lease yet until you meet with the salt makers. Then to... I want to say harass, but harass is never a good word. To bother that we have been bothering the county literally about these illegal buildings for probably ten years. The history of hey, you got to go in, you got to go in, do a study assessment, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, you know, and then it changes, right? So every new mayor that comes in, all the new county council members comes in, you got to reprove. We got to reprove our worth and then start from ground zero to be like okay. Bake some more cookies. Here you go. Can you please go and do an assessment? So finally, you know, Maverick moved in in a shady way, but okay, we're past that. Then they just go for it. They start digging up stuff, put in a new fence, you know, start building concrete pads, call the county, take pictures, forward it to the county. Hey, oh, you know, you guys said that they're not, they ha we're in an SMA. They have to do an environmental, what's it called? An EIS? Yep. And, and they did it anyway. So then the county went in and they said, okay, here's your font, you know, stop. And this helicopter company said, well, we're going to appeal. We don't even care. We, you guys are un insignificant to us. Um, we're just going to appeal and push it off and spend the money on our attorneys while we, who have no money, because again, we do this for free. We do this for love. We do this because we love our culture, need to you know, beg people to support us, beg to get Native Legal Corp to take our case and 
um, help and then to kind of strategize with um, in the best way to manage this. And so right now it looks like the helicopter company is dismantling their office um, and some of the other structures that are illegal just to play nice in the sandbox. They bring in more helicopter companies, which is disturbing, but we, there's nothing we can do about that. So we're not, we're kind of in limbo of what's the next step on what exactly we're doing. Okay. So, um, we've gone over some of the questions in addition. Did you want to add something? You want to add something? Okay. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, when we shared about um, some of the impacts that we're experiencing, like the erosion and a lot of the ve- vehicular access in the area, um, we brought forward a proposal to the, count, uh, the mayor um, requesting that we close that part of the beach. Um, and although he was very supportive of it, he had asked us to hold a community discussion. And so together with the Hanapepe Ele'ele Community Association, we hosted a meeting. We, it was on the 18th, um, so just like last week. And we had over 50 people that were gathered there. Um, and it, to my surprise, I had high anxiety walking into the meeting and having to facilitate and I had pakai in one pocket. I had lai in the other. I, you know, had to protect all of that. And um, to our surprise, the there was an overwhelming response that closed down everything, the parking lot, everything. Don't let nobody pull one gate. Only the salt makers can go in. We was like, oh, for real? Wow. And, um, you know, we were just, Pu'iva and surprised to hear that kind of response from the community, but I guess I shouldn't be too surprised um, because, you know, over the last, you know, with all of our awareness raising, with the jam for Mauna Kea, with the convoy that happened, all these different things, everyone was coming to learn more and to, to learn how they can support and so, yeah, I guess I shouldn't be too surprised that, you know, that, that kahea went out and people were ready to support. And so we went through the process and then we heard recently, um, that the county will be, um, bringing in the boulders to close off to any vehicles. And so, yeah, it's these little steps, you know, that kind of, um, is a, we take it as big wins, and for some it may seem like little things, but I think it's one step at a time, you know. And then I think also, um, of course, as more work goes forward, there's more kuleana that comes too. And, you know, some of our thoughts have also been around um, having like a strategic planning meeting where as salt makers, what do we envision for this whole pu'olo point? from Mauka all the way to Makai. And and then how do we work like now with the West Co- uh, West Kauai Regional Plan that's going out uh, this week and um, this month to, to get input um, re- regarding all these different policies for our community Ma- plan. Malia, so, and of course, I because I'm the facilitator, I have to... We got through 
maybe like three quarters of the questions. Okay. But we want to give the audience an opportunity to ask questions because sometimes when you're here, you think that you're communicating everything that needs to be communicated. Uh, but do, do we have questions that are coming forth? Oh, uh, there were going to be cards, I think, and they were going to decipher and, and bring up the cards. So I have some questions. Um, I'll ask these first that I gathered, and then whoever else has questions, I can come walk around. Okay, because there is some people in the front that would like to ask some awesome. questions. Okay. It says, one. the first question, can peace be made with the assistance of the government agencies from state, county, and community stewardships? Is, is there some type of way where you can co-manage or is there some kind of partnership that you think could lead to resolving um, these issues? Uh, it's really hard. It's been, um, like I said, you know, it changes, right? So county council is every two years, mayors every four years. So every time a new group ends, you got to start from the beginning and you got to reprove your worth. You know what I mean? So it's we've tried to do resolutions before to bring everyone to the table um, me and Malia are, we make a good pair, but we're very different. I'm like, we are the most important people there. Like whatever we say should be it. Like I'm tired. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of proving like I'm, we are super fabulous. You all experience it. Like, let us be number one. You know what I mean? <laughs> Done said whatever. And then Malia would make a good couple because she's more, Let's hear it, the community, you know, let's, let's, uh, bake some cookies. Bake. I'm like, oh, I ain't baking no more cookies. I'm over it. Like, where's the overthrow in this one? I don't bake cookies. My husband makes squid luau. That's why I married him. But it's been, so it's hard, it's really hard because we've been every single state official, every single county official, like you can't go to them and say, hey, have you heard of Kule? You know what? They know when they see me calling them on a Sunday morning at 7 a.m., it's because the cesspool overflowed, and I don't know who else I'm going to call but the mayor at 7 o'clock in the morning. They get out of bed and go pump that thing, that bad boy. Like, I'm tired. <laughs> I am tired talking. But um, it's just hard. It's really, really hard. And you would think that the very first time that the county dumped that asphalt, when we would have made the call, Hey, you dumped asphalt in our our drainage system. Hello, fix it. Oh, we're sorry. We apologize. We apologize. Well, wait, what? What? You know what I mean? So it's you get to a point where you're tired, and I'm tired, and I'm like, well, I'm number one, and you, my friend, are num- Malia's not there yet. You know, we're we're getting there quickly, but I'm tired being nice. I'm tired being good in the sandbox. I'm just thinking of the question, but uh, the mention was made of the stewardship type arrangement. And there are models of that out there already, with, starting with the, especially with the community-based fisheries management um, efforts, Hyena being a prime example. Um, others around the island that are trying to do the same thing, and like at Moomomi and Hookena, but at various stages of progress, and it's not a simple endeavor, clearly, but you know, it, in, it's something to think about because unless you get the actual direct power to regulate and manage your own resource, 
as this question I think is in, inferring, uh, that's where you can get a, the greatest say over protection of the resources that are so important, especially in the Vahipana around the islands. Plus the land is in DOT. So the land is in Department of Transportation. So to get it out of Department of Transportation is a little bit complicated. We have tried before Maverick came in to take the lease of that whole landing strip that they pay only $14,000 a year for, mind you. Anyways. But it's, it's a little bit complicated because then we would have to transfer the lease out of DOT, Department of Transportation, to the county, and then the county could executive order it over to us. But to get it out of DOT is where the issue is. Yeah. We have, oh, sorry. So, yeah, just real quick, um, to also continue a little bit, um, you know, uh, Alan is reminding us that our, one of our big goals as the Hui is to close, close Burns Field airstrip down. Close it to any, any activity. Um, and, and then I, what I was trying to say earlier is strategically, what, what do we want to see in this Lai Opu'olo? And, there have been some ideas that have come forward, but so how do we facilitate that kind of a discussion? Not as a, only as a hui, but then again, including our community as shared spaces. Um, and yes, we are one. I do believe that. Um, but, but yeah, how do we, how do we share spaces together? I mean, we all access the area. Um, and yeah, how do we continue that? So co-management to me doesn't sound like the best solution right now because our government agencies haven't shown us to be a good partner and to be, uh, to be a collaborator. And I don't want to work with people like that. I mean, we see it all over, all over in all of the different, um, examples. And I'm going to make mention of one letter we did. Uh, a letter that was written from DOT to the c- county mayor, and specifically one of the paragraphs said, made reference that, well, who's the salt makers? They don't even have a permit to be there doing what they do. And I, we all looked at this letter like, are you for real? The state wrote this in an official letter on letterhead two months ago. And sent this to the mayor. I mean, for us to look at that, I'm just like, okay, we building our case. Cause you're gonna get slammed pretty soon. I mean, we're watching and strategizing and trying to find what that next step is. And like we said, it's a day to day kind of thing. And I put out a big mahalo to our, our leadership on the Mauna because they're teaching us so much too how to strategize, how to look, how to communicate, not just with one another, but with our our community and how to get that word out. So, oh, you know. We have uh, one question from the audience here. Terrific presentation, Mahal. You mentioned uh, buffer and you mentioned traditional and customary practices. Do we have in the county zoning of Kauai provision for a different buffer for different traditional and customary practice or no? A buffer in the zoning. 
Could you and repeat a buffer the, for burial site. A buffer in terms of the, the government action to create a buffer? Yeah, if the zoning has provision for buffer. Because oh, if they are don't, you referring to creating a buffer area around the salt ponds? Yeah, around also other traditional and customary practices like Kalo, Puonua, burial sites. I'm gonna because if we don't, Alan, uh, we should study that. Thank you. It's, it's hard just because we are such a small section in that area and we're surrounded by every entity. So for we are trying our best to kind of um, figure out the best way to take back, you know, but it's a, it's a little complicated because every entity owns a little piece of everything that we're surrounded by. So it's not as easy as creating this buffer. And what people don't understand is there is kind of a buffer, buffer, but we're the lowest point. So even though people are on the other side of the buffer, they still damage us by what they do that surrounds us. So I, I think what you're referring to is that there currently exists some kind of buffer, but this buffer is insufficient. And as a consequence, you're also dealing with a lot of different entities with different authority. So there's county park, there's the state park, the beach rights, there is the DOT, which is also state. There are your use agreements that I believe is under the county. And so there's... Okay, so this is under the traditional cultural practices, right, that have been identified in the Constitution as a priority for the state. And so as a consequence, trying to deal with all these entities that don't have to deal with each other, don't want to deal with each other. I think that's what you're describing, because that was one of the questions, is to try to outline how many various entities and groups are involved in just trying to continue this traditional cultural practice, correct? So what you're referring to, I, I guess like you, I am always hopeful, and I think that we have the resources, and we are Akamai, and if there is a will, there could be a greater, more significant buffer to safeguard this very, very special area. I mean, I know I'm not, I'm just the facilitator, but we're running short on time, so I'm putting that plug in there. Uh, and one of the discussions you had is about community support, because this is something that involves all of us, not just Native Hawaiians, but all of us in the state that want this to be a special, unique place. Uh, and... I understand in my conversation before the meeting that you have a petition and you're up to 35,000 signatures now. So why don't you describe for us what is taking place in terms of that support and what people can do to be proactively supportive of what you're trying to do? Well, I think we might change the petition a little bit and start a new one because that was specifically for the county and the airport trying to um, get after-the-fact permits for the restrooms and things like that. Now that they will, looks like they might try and get in compliance just because of everything that's going on, we are going to start a new petition to close down the airport and just say we are 
We're over it. Please move out. ASAPs. With a capital And I think um, kind of related to the buffer zone question, I think what, what came into my mind was about using the different tools that are out there and being Akamai on how to use the tools. So like I mentioned, uh, the West Kauai Regional Plan, which is a community plan that's going through the process. Uh, Kauai General Plan already got passed, and there's there's certain things in there, and there are some protections that we've been proposing. Um, and so, you know, it takes a lot of time to go to these meetings and participate and to bring people in. But it's really worth the time because it's setting a path for the next 20 years. And so when when my husband and I moved home to be a caregiver for mom, my husband kept asking me, like, why are you going to all these meetings? Like, two, three nights a week, you got community meetings. I was like, babe, trying to, like, build relationships again. You know, everybody knew me as the 18-year-old that moved to Oahu. Now I'm moved home and I'm 40 something. I'm a different person. I'm, you know, people are getting to know me today. And so I think part of my, um, kahe I put out to, to all of us is to, to learn about all these different tools and get involved in your communities. If you're not already, I know a lot of us here are, but find ways to be involved and to, to be, be a voice in your community. Okay, but more specifically, is there a website they can visit to sign a petition to keep track of your progress? How can, how can we reach out? We have this forum to reach out to the community. How can they be a support to you? Um, one I think is protect Paakai on Facebook and Instagram, um, where we post updates if we need anything right now. We are kind of in a limbo place and not really on, not really sure what our next step is. So it's best to check in on the website and kind of um, go from there. And I think for me, the biggest thing to everyone is that you have to remember ho- your house is bigger than the home you live in. So like when you go to Salt Pond, for example, please don't party in our salt patch and throw your bottles and things like that in our, you know, we get cut. It happens every year. Someone ends up in some emergency room because, you know, they need stitches. Be mindful of burning rubber, driving on the beach or all that kind of stuff. So you have to remember that that's what we're asking of you. We're asking you that this is our spot. Let us breathe. Please don't drive on the beach, burn rubber, party in our parking lot and be respectful of our house. Mahalo. And I'm looking for Ku'ulu to see if we have... Okay. Aloha. Uh, I'm from Kauai and I definitely partaked in benefiting from the gift giving of salt. Um, I definitely... My family members work on that salt patch as well. Um, I think the biggest issue and that's very frustrating is it's the same issue with Mauna Kea and Salt Pond is we have all of these government and state officials who have the power to make the change, but no one wants to take responsibility for the change. So how do we, as just people of wherever we come from, change that system? Because 
Like you said, you're tired, go to DLNR. Tired, go to this department. Why we got to go to five different places, six different places for resolve one issue? And I don't know. I think that's – I don't know if anybody got any input on that. Like how do we find the one person or one department that we got to go to to bring up these issues? Because it's the same issue in everything that's been going on right now. Um, I try and my new speech now when I when I go and have talks now with people is I look in the audience I look for all the young ones right because I'm old already like I didn't bake enough cookies I started my journey protecting the salt patch full force like I'm gonna overthrow you all like I am you know bam boom Kanani here I am you sit down and let me speak so I have a reputation of being this hardcore like some people will see my phone and be like, oh, no, here she goes again. So when I give this talk to the young people in this young generation, be active, bake a lot of cookies, make a lot of connections, remember where you are and always, you know, have that love for each other. Be more like Malia and less like me, you know what I mean, for all you young ones out there who are building your career. I gave a talk at UH last week and I was sitting in the room. You don't know who the next county council member is going to be. Or who the next mayor is going to be. Don't make fun of. Don't do anything of. You know what I mean? Just be respectful and mindful and know your place and bake those cookies because that's what's going to help. And it's it's harder for me to fix my reputation now with county and state officials and literally had to bake a ton of cookies to be able to now, you know, can I please call you at? six o'clock in the morning and say, hey, the restroom is overflowing and I expect you to be there at eight o'clock and I love you and thank you and you're the best person on Facebook. And, you know, it took me a long time to learn how to be humble and do that kind of stuff. So my advice is for me, it might be too late, but for you younger generation or for us to teach that to our kids and all that kind of stuff to be leaders, get involved. Go pick up rubbish, find your spot, pick up trash, pick up, do whatever you got to do. Like Malia said, go go to a community meeting. Listen, just start there. Start somewhere, but you have to. And you got to bake those cookies. Can, 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 I, can I raise a flag on your question? Um, first thing that go, came into my mind is that if there was a one place, only one place you had to go, you might be in a dictatorship. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I will also, that triggered in my mind that I need to uh, mention tonight is that there's a very powerful mechanism out there. Whenever you have a pending approval of some kind of a permit or license or something that a government agency, state or county is trying to review and, and possibly pass that may not be in your interest as a Hawaiian because that same... Um, constitutional provision I mentioned earlier about preserving traditional and customary rights has been interpreted in a very powerful decision that was uh, decided in 2000 that imposes a threefold duty in all the agencies. And when they review a permit for any approval, they have to, they cannot avoid taking three steps. One, uh, to protect those rights under that particular constitutional amendment. First thing is that they got to do is identify whether there's any traditional customary practices occurring in the area impacted by the permit. The second thing is that they've got to assess 
whether or not the project will have a detrimental effect, a negative effect on, on those practices. And the third thing, finally, is that they have to take reasonable steps to, pr- pr- to protect those traditions and customs that exist and that they've identified and assessed. Now, if you think about it, that is pretty powerful if you get in on the, on, at the right level. Don't wait, you know, let that thing slide, and then you have to come in and, you know, stand in front of the bulldozer. But then it's too late, the permit's granted. And then maybe you can go back and try to challenge it in court. That's the last place you want to really be. That's the last last resort. And I wouldn't favor that myself, but we use it all the time and we have to. It's a really powerful device that is gives teeth, basically, to this, what we call Article 12, Section 7, the protection of traditional and customary practices. Okay, so I just wanted to be able to say that once tonight. Mahalo. I also wanted to add, so... These two vahine over here have been pulling Yomon's duty of trying to meet with this person and meet with that person and baking cookies because despite the fact that the officials are elected officials and that the people in agencies are people that we pay with our taxes, uh, the concept that we're he- hearing right now is that they are begging the agencies to fulfill the responsibilities that they were elected into office for and for which salaries we pay as taxpayers. So I I know that they say to go to protect Pa'akai, but I have worked extensively with government, and I will tell you that it does require a persistent, 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 I cannot emphasize this, and a very assertive approach, I would hope, by everybody that is touched by what you've heard today. So you have government officials, you know, go on the website, see who your government officials are, send the letter, tell them you saw this presentation tonight and you are moved and you want action. It is a call to action from our elected officials from our, our government representatives, and I use that word because they represent us, uh, that, quite honestly, this should not be happening. This should not be happening because I know if I do something wrong, right, I expect there's going to be repercussion. And especially if it involves the government, I think our expectation is that that's their job. That's their kuleana to see that we as citizens, our rights are protected. But sometimes it does take pushing. And for me, I always look that one can be respectful and assertive at the same time. So on behalf of these, the huipakai, I would like to have you Think of it as a call to action of your government officials and your representatives to make something happen. Anyway, I see back there, I kind of got on my soapbox over here, but... Um. We have our, our last public question at the end, and we're going to wrap it up for this evening. So if can, make this, try to make it quick, because it's an important question. Um, and it came from the audience, but I wanted to contextualize it a little bit, because the question is, what would it take to actually stop the airport, 
to shut it down. But I think it's important before that's answered to say there are commercial tour companies that operate out of Lihue. They don't have to operate in Hanapepe, correct? Yes. Okay, so what would it take to shut this operation down so that your guys, Vahi, can rest? Uh, It's really the governor. The governor has the authority to close that airport, like, um, and that's, the county doesn't really have much pull, but to just have them be in compliant with their structures, it really is our state, our state representatives and the governor to shut it down. So I'll let Ka'ulu wrap up, but just on that note, oh, Alan, go ahead. Go just, ahead. I just want to insert that what, uh, Malia was saying earlier about getting involved, like things like the community plan. Um, without getting too much into the weeds, that's kind of a very important point because when you get something into the community plan, it can, under the right circumstances, have the force and effect of law. So if that that field was taken out of the West Kauai plan, for example, that would be a great start. It's been. Okay, because in short, things like having to get permits and then trying to get zoning to conform to whatever projects people want to build that are incompatible with that plan uh, could in fact be could in fact be challenged legally. But you got to get the plan to say what you want it to say. So that does call upon you as citizens to get out there and and participate. And it does take work, but. That kind of ammunition is the kind of things that at least lawyers would look for if there were some way to challenge whatever's happening. Um, but it does also reemphasize the fact that it takes community pressure. I mean, what's happening on the Mana, for example, is just unprecedented in terms of what kind of support they're getting. And, and you know, there's no lawyer up there trying to go to court to say this has to happen. It just happens. And if it's happening, and it's happening with a Unity of purpose as well as execution like they're doing, I mean, that is like so powerful. It goes beyond what any court of law could do because Mahalo. it's really changing the face of Hawaii. Mahalo, guys. Any, so, um, again, on behalf of Office Foreign Affairs, and I'll let uh, Kaulu actually officially close out. Mahalo to all you folks. But I wanted to say something real quick, especially on this last series of questions Because I started out introducing this panel, um, pointing out that the issues we're seeing, Hanapepe, Sherwoods, Mauna Kea, Nanakuli coming down the pipe, are all symptoms of the same sickness. That sickness is elected leaders that don't listen to us, that don't listen to their constituents, that can easily ignore you folks and then feel arrogant and empowered and entitled enough to ignore us. And the reason why they do that is because they say, you don't vote. So the simplest thing that everybody here can do is talk to your ohana, identify these issues and decide to vote and get organized. And we need our Lahui to get behind candidates and uplift our leaders that we can protect them when they go into that, that, 
swamp. Yeah, we have to engage in that way, in at least being organized. And I know some people are not comfortable with voting, but at the end of the day, at least organize. Get behind our leaders, because some of them are going to make that leap. And if you're not comfortable voting, you can still cockle. Yeah, and organizing, getting educated, getting informed, and in addition to everything you folks said, but once they feel those numbers, that's going to make them move. Yeah, the, the, the polls that came out, sorry, going to go on my soapbox, last thing. The polls that came out in the paper yesterday regarding Mauna Kea that indicated the drastic shift in public perception and opinion about the issue is 100% a testament to the mana of our lahui. The thing that they are deathly afraid of is if we take that mana to the polls. I know it. I've worked in it. My colleagues have worked in it for a number of years. They are afraid. So just take that into consideration as you decide what your kuleana is and what you feel empowered to do. Yeah. Mahalo nui to all you folks. I'll hand it off to Kau. So on behalf of the Ahahui of Hawaii Advocates for Native Hawaiian Justice at the Law School, we hope you had a wonderful evening tonight with our panel and mahalo nui for joining us. Please feel empowered, take action, and have a safe evening. Aloha. Ka'ulu. I, that was a beautiful closing, but Malia said, can she leave you with one final thought? Is that okay? Okay. <laughs> Thanks, T. That's my kaikaina. Um, I saw on the paper, that's why it said one final thought for each panelist, one minute time limit. So I was sitting here getting all emotional as I was putting my one minute thought together. So my one minute goes like this. To my baby Kai, oh hello. To all of the kupuna that I brought into our space. To all of your kupuna, to our aina as our mama, that we all have the kuleana to take care of our aina makuahine. When we were asked that question about we should go one place or how do we do this, I caught ko'o the whole getting involved because that's what I'm doing. And I know in the today of our life, that's what we got to do. But I think as we're seeing, that's not the best answer. As our lahui rises, I think as we, I love the mission and the vision of Kanayokana, and that's why I'm so committed to Kanayokana, is because we are working to build Aloha Aina leaders. And if each and every one of us takes that on as a mission for ourselves and takes that on for a mission for our ohana and for all of our keiki with us today and our keiki to come, then we will be in a better world. And we will be in a better Hawaii, in a paiaina that thrives. And I really believe that. If we all strive to be those aloha aina leaders and to know what it means to malama honua, malama armakuahine, and to give back. So, oyano. Oh yeah,
Thank you for listening to us on Native Stories. Navigate through location-based stories on our Native Stories mobile app. You can find it on Apple and Android stores under Native Stories. Go check them out and leave a review and tell your family and friends. If you have a story you would like us to tell or want to sponsor a future podcast, location story, or walking tour, please email us at info at nativestories.org. Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook under username Our Native Stories.